0: I'm Tyler Kressman. Welcome to this week's Kressman Conversation. So the topic we're going to talk about this week is going to be a little bit about the UK and what's going on on the other side of the pond. Had an interesting week in European politics. So we're going to talk about this new snap election that just happened. But we're going to go back, we're going to do a little bit of history first. So we're going to, basically we're talking about Brexit. Now, for those who don't know, the Brexit is Britain's exit from the European Union. It's got a snazzy little nickname. Um, And we're going to talk about why Britain maybe wanted to leave the EU. So, the European Union is basically just a... It was originally designed as sort of a trade agreement, like a NAFTA-type deal, just among all of the European nations. And sort of evolved into something a little bit more like the UN, where now it's this giant body, um, giant body politic of a collection of all the governments of Europe that get to decide things for the rest of them. And it's interesting because if you think about the European Union, what most people think of is, is that it's just another form of elected government right you elect your people in your country and then they elect people to go to the European Union to represent the interests of your country well that's not exactly how it works there is such a thing as the European Parliament which is the what what you would be considered like um the congress in the US it's elect elected people who get sent to these places But the thing is that the European Parliament does not have much power, but the European Commission does. And the European Commission is unelected. These people are just appointed, and they get to decide the fate of the European Union. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't like the European Union. Again, if the European Union was just a giant trade organization, no one would have issues with it. But it's not. It has devolved into something Much worse. Something that attempts to control each country and has become the regulator of everything from immigration to trade to basically societal norms in all these different countries. And a lot of people don't like it. and, And it's just incredibly wasteful. The entire system... Wastes billions of dollars each year. And there's actually the best example of this. The European Union. Is located in Brussels. But. Once a month. For four days. Everything from the European Union. In Brussels. Is loaded into big trucks. And driven down the road. From Brussels to Strasbourg. For four days, I think it is. they do this once a month for four days. And it costs uh, what amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars to do this every year. And people are like, well, why why do you do that? Well, because originally in the agreement made between European nations, um, France was going to get some of the revenue... From the European Union. they're Basically by moving the offices into France. They're going to generate more tax revenue. And so we do this. We waste hundreds of millions of dollars. Every year on stupid things. Like moving for four days of the month. Where you have to load all of the offices. Up. And move the entire office. To a different city for four days. And. The only way to get out of that is if every member of the European Union agrees and France will never agree. It's why, but this is, this is one small example. But imagine if you're a libertarian or a, a classical American conservative, you know, an Edmund Burke type conservative where you, you think government should be small enough to, all right, large enough to protect the rights of individuals, but small enough that you don't have to worry about it. Well, this is the exact opposite of that, because the European Union is, in a sense, two large governments. You have your government, if you live in France or Britain or Germany, you have your government to worry about. And then you also have another government on top of your government that oversees your government. Uh, Imagine everyone who's ever lived in a modern society is aware... That sometimes, if you want to do things through the government, the bureaucracy that you run into is nonsensical. It's just ridiculous. Try and decipher the tax code, <laughs> and for a classic example of the amount of nonsense that goes in to any sort of law or rule or whatever the case may be, try to build an addition on your house in a city like or in a state like California. And then you'll see the amount of regulations and bureaucracy you have to go through to get these things done. Imagine that, but times two. Because now you don't only have to appease your government, you have to appease a larger government on top of that government. And you'll see one of the reasons why people get a little bit fed up with the European Union. So why... uh, This is just one reason. Why did Britain elect to leave the EU in the first place. Well, there's a number of reasons. Waste being one of them. um, Bureaucracy, overreaching is the second one. And then there's another one as well. And this was one of the ways in which Britain and the British people who elected to break from the European Union have been maligned as racist or bigoted or having issues. Uh, The book of the week this week is going to be this book called The Strange Death of Europe by Douglas Murray which details exactly what I'm about to talk about in brilliant, a brilliant way. Douglas Murray is a, a brilliant individual if anyone's never listened to him speak or read any of his works. Basically, Europe, for a host of reasons, has a guilty conscience for some of the atrocities committed throughout the 20th century. And one of the ways that they have elected to alleviate this guilty conscience and the history of imperialism is by just opening the gates to refugees and immigrants into the country. Now, immigrants, for the most part, can be great in the United States. We we need a good, healthy immigration system in this country. People who want to come here to work should be allowed to do so. Now there should be restrictions on that, but if you want to come here for work and you know you're not going to be living off public assistance, I have no problem with immigrants coming to this country. And but in Europe there are 350 million people who live in the United States. There's no European country that's close to that size. And what people saw in Europe was in unfettered flow of immigrants into the country, which were changing the makeup of the culture. And this is this is when you get into a spot that gets uncomfortable to talk about. But when you allow too many people into the country who don't assimilate to the values of the country, the the cultural customs of that particular country, what you're doing, in effect, is allowing the culture from wherever they came from to start to populate inside your country. Now, immigrants are great. We, we can all agree. Immigrants are great. No problem with immigration. But assimilation is a must because if you live in Britain, you probably have a fondness for British culture and Western values. The idea that you're, they don't have freedom of speech in the same way, but they have good, solid freedom of speech laws. Not, again, not to the extent like the U.S. has, but the ability to discuss ideas openly. The ability to practice whatever religion you choose. We don't oppress women in the West. We, we have a lot of very positive things that go along with Western culture. And so what you were seeing was this unchecked flow of immigrants through the country really accelerated in 2015 with the breakdown of Syria and the unchecked flowing, basically, uh, a constant stream of refugees into the continent. For example, Sweden and Germany, in one single year, added 2% to their population in immigrants. And that, this is that's not small. That's not a small number of people to take into your country in one year. It it's actually it's kind of insane. And the problem with this, the problem became that people in Europe began to look around and had the uneasy feeling that they were living in a different place. Now, for example, I don't want to live in the Middle East. I think that there are a lot of problems in the Middle East. There are obviously problems in the West as well, but they're different. And the problems that we complain about in the West are in a lot of ways much less than the problems that are facing the Middle East. And so Britain looked around and they saw that for example the most popular boy's name in Britain in, I think it was 2014 or 2015, was Muhammad. And they said, okay, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but it does have an interesting implication for the future of the country. You saw an increase in terrorist attacks across Europe in the last five years. And you saw that it became very difficult to be Jewish in Europe. Jews in Europe have been sounding an alarm for a while. And here's a good canary in the coal mine type situation. When the Jews start getting worried about things, we should pay attention. Because they're just the first people who get uh, murdered. They, They always have been. They're just the first. But they're not the last. And so in London, for example, there are actual advisories that say you should not wear a yarmulke in certain parts of town because their populations of Muslim men from the Middle East are so dense that it's actually unsafe because the amount of hate crimes against Jews has risen exponentially in places like Germany and Britain and France off the top of my head. So people looked around, Britons looked around and said, I don't like the direction our country's heading, And we need to have a conversation about what it means to be British and what it means to assimilate into our country. Most people say exactly like I do. I have no problem with people who want to come to America, but you have to Americanize. I mean, Bill Maher had this great line once where he said, it's a melting pot. Why don't you melt? <laughs> it's you. You. You can hold on to your heritage, hold on to your culture, be proud of who you are. That's great. But you gotta melt a little. You gotta. You have to assimilate to the culture that you're in. And so Britain, Britain, Britain. The British people were upset by all this, and basically the prime minister said well you know if you are unhappy with it why don't we just see how unhappy people are with it and held a vote to leave the eu the idea being that no one would ever be stupid enough to elect the eu and this will this will put a squash on people like nigel farage who's calling to leave the eu and once we soundingly defeat that resolution then we can move on and start talking about the more important things and instead what happened was the British people elected to leave the EU. This was in June, uh, June 23rd of 2016. That's when they elected to leave the EU. And immediately the Prime Minister stepped down, and Theresa May stepped in to be the Prime Minister. She had been of the Conservative Party that was calling for Brexit, though she never was one of the more vocal people. And then she attempted to organize a trade deal with the European Union and a way to leave, and everyone hated it. And she basically was a, at, unfairly or not, it's called one of the worst prime ministers in modern British history. She stepped down, be, uh, just an absolute failure. And then, in steps Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is, has fancied himself to be like the Donald Trump of Britain. The difference being that Boris Johnson is actually incredibly intelligent he's uh, he's an actual intellectual who just sort of pretends to be a buffoon sometimes but he does engage in very trumpian like antics he recently drove a some sort of a oh what are they called like a bulldozer he drove a bulldozer through a wall that was marked brexit and he has attempted to negotiate another trade deal with the European Union so Britain can pull out while still maintaining a trade deal. And it's gone nowhere. He lost a couple battles with Parliament. The parliamentary system, by the way, is is different than the United States. It's um, worse. It's definitely worse. That's just the way it is. There's no way around it. A democratic republic is much better than the parliamentary system that they have in Britain. But anyway... Maybe one day we'll do that because, honestly, the more I learn about it, the more I say, this is dumb. (laughs) Like, why do they do it this way? And I understand why, you know, history and whatnot, but it doesn't make any sense in a modern context. So Boris Johnson recently called a snap election. This is something that the prime minister has the ability to do in Britain. And the snap election was basically a second referendum on... this is what everyone knew everyone knew that this is what this was about and he won a resounding victory Uh, an overwhelming majority of his party was elected which means that he now has a very nice sized majority to vote on a no deal Brexit they're just going to pull out of the European Union and see what happens and that's a good thing that's a good thing for Britain it is there's going to be some pain when you rip the bandaid off, but it'll heal. It'll get it'll heal because Britain is too strong of a country to just fall apart based on this. So it's a good thing. One of the things I wanted to talk about, though, you know, Britain, British people should be proud to be British. I'm proud to be American. I love America. British people should love Britain. Germans should love Germany. The French, I suppose, should love France. There's nothing wrong with being proud of who you are and wanting to protect your culture and your heritage. If you want to keep your country the way that it is, there's nothing wrong with that. To say, again, you're welcome to come here, but you have to adopt to the culture. The culture is not going to adopt to you. This has always been a big critique of mine when people start talking about things like immigration. I didn't come to your country. I live here. If you wanna live here, you have to act like it. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And again, because that's not anti-immigrant. You say you keep your culture, your heritage, your customs, keep them in your heart, practice your religion. You know, doesn't I don't care, but when you are out In the public world, you have to adapt to the culture. That means if I go to a shop, we don't haggle in the United States. There's a price, you pay it. That's that's a cultural practice. That's very common in different parts of the world. We don't haggle here. You you pay the price. In the United States, everyone likes to say there's no official language. We speak English. We speak English in the United States. You have to learn a little bit of English if you want to participate in the culture. You know, go to the DMV and try and speak Swahili. You're not going to get very far. Learn a little bit of the language if you're going to. If I, was, if I lived in France, you think I wouldn't learn French? It doesn't make any sense. My point is melt a little. And that's what Britain was all about. just wanted to keep Britain British. But the other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of this thing, besides that point, which I think I've now made very clear, is that this election was also a referendum on the Labor Party, which is the equivalent of the, the Democratic Party in Britain. And what people saw in this Labor Party is that Brit- British politics often mirror those of the United States. And Jeremy Corbyn the head of the Labor Party, is a terrible, terrible anti-Semite. Terrible. He's never met a, a hate group that he doesn't support. He wanted to invite Hamas and Hezbollah to the UK to have discussions. It's like, no, guy, those are terrorist groups. You don't get to do that. He's never... He has... Never found a Jew hater that he is not prepared to cozy up next to. And his party is patently insane. They they tried to make this a election not about Brexit, but about everything else. And what they saw was a resounding defeat. Because what people saw is that when you... It makes people uncomfortable with the amount of government intrusion that they saw happening the amount of socialism that they were afraid of and the amount of anti-semitism that just ignores reality there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with islam nothing at all except for the fact that when you look at data throughout the world it is often muslims who hold very anti-semitic beliefs now again treat everyone as an individual that's always been my preference. But when you look at data from the Middle East, for example, about the Jew, uh, Jews throughout the Middle East, what you see is a very troubling result about what people think of the Jewish people. And this, is, this makes everyone on the left particularly uncomfortable if you embrace the idea of intersectionality. It makes you incredibly uncomfortable to have to confront these facts. Because Jews are very high on the intersectional hierarchy, or low depending on how you look at it. They're not treated like a minority with the same, the same way that Muslims are, even though Muslims throughout the world are not really a minority. And it becomes this issue where people look at Jeremy Corbyn and his anti-Semitism, his cozying up to terrorists, basically, Hezbollah, and... They said, this makes me really uncomfortable because what we're seeing is a rise in Islamic extremism throughout Europe while at the same time you're cozying up to groups like Hezbollah and it, it's uncomfortable. And the, again, the amount of socialism that you're advocating for is also something that in the West we don't particularly love. And I want the people in the United States to take a look at this and realize that this this could mirror our country. What we're seeing right now is people on the left cozying up to socialism in a way that is going to be troubling for working class people who don't like socialism. And what you're also seeing is a, a level of comfort That makes everyone kind of uncomfortable when it comes to anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party. You're looking at people like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC. And you're looking at this young base of the Democratic Party that has grown up on this doctrine that Israel is the great aggressor in the Middle East. And that if they would just throw down their weapons, everything would be peaceful. And it's this kind of moronic attitude that makes people with any sort of sense go, you people are crazy. I'm not going to support you. And when you combine these things, which currently the Democratic Party in the United States is doing, when you combine this weird, modern form of anti-Semitism and this cozying up to socialist ideas that alienate the working class what you're going to find is a losing combination and hopefully my hope this is going to sound strange i have never been a donald trump supporter some of the things he's done i like but i've never been a, a donald trump supporter in full but man i i would hope that if the Democratic Party does not nominate someone moderate, you almost hope what the best thing that could happen for the Democratic Party would be to nominate someone crazy, crazy radical, someone like Bernie Sanders, nominate him. And then let's hope that he loses such a resounding, he has such a resounding defeat that the party wakes up and realizes you have to, you have to realign yourself more towards the middle. Stop alienating everyone. Stop calling everyone racist and sexist and homophobic. Stop demonizing the country that you are, you are trying to say you love and support while saying it has nothing but a history of oppression and genocide. Stop trying, to take every, try, stop trying to take half of every dollar that every single person makes and put it into a collective pot so you can give it out to whoever you think needs it. Stop trying to do these things. And if the Democratic Party doesn't realize this, my hope is that they just keep losing. Because the direction that they're heading in, if they start, if they win, if they win in 2020, it's going to be because people hate Donald Trump. It's not because people have come around to the Democratic Party. And then in 2024, they're going to lose. And they're going to lose terribly. And they're going to say, what happened? And it's going to be because they didn't learn a damn thing. And I hope that they do learn. I... I have been a Democrat my entire life. Always was. Never vote in every presidential election I've ever been able to vote for, I've voted for the Democrat. Not afraid to say that. But the they're gonna lose if they keep going down this path. And I don't want them to I don't want one party to just be so crazy that I feel like I can't vote for them anymore. And that's what's happening right now. I've never voted for a Republican. And if, but if any other Republican was in Donald Trump's place and you compare them to the Democrats who are running, I vote for the Republican because the Democrats who are in the field, they just seem to have a weird hatred for America, a fondness for socialism and a level of comfort towards anti-Semitism that I dislike. They want to, I don't, the combination is a loser. For most of the country, it might win you points on Twitter. It doesn't win you points with me. So anyway, I'm going to. We're going to leave it there. Oh, my Christmas tree just clicked off right next to me. It kind of freaked me out. Um, we're going to leave it there for the day. My book of the week again is the Strange Death of Strange Death of Europe by Douglas Murray. If you if you're unfamiliar with Douglas Murray's work, please go check him out. He is um, he is. An amazingly intelligent person and writes wonderfully well and is a fantastic speaker. So go listen to some of his lectures or debates on YouTube. Go read some of his books. He's got a new one out I haven't read yet, which I'm very much looking forward to reading. But for this week, The Strange Death of Europe. I had some good suggestions this past week for some... um, what would it be Some topics I might try and get into. We're, we might talk about the role of government and libertarian beliefs in one of these upcoming podcasts. I think that'll be a good topic. Uh, suggested to me by my brother, actually. Kind of, loosely. It's more about the legalization of drugs, should we do it or not. But uh, that flows directly into the role of government and libertarianism. So, we might talk about that on an upcoming podcast. I think we're going to leave it there for the week. I'm trying to make these about a 20 to 30 minutes in length. Uh, I don't want to get overly winded because I might start doing two a week instead of one a week. We're kind of playing, we're, we're playing around with the format here. That's what it means. More opinions, less just straight facts. That's also a, a way we're going. You know, If you want to read the news, we should read the news. But we're coming here for commentary and opinion. I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinion person. And so everyone, I think that's where we're going to leave it. Oh, by the way, uh, I don't have, haven't had a podcast since then, but go back um, and check out my article in the St. Louis Post, which was, I think, last Wednesday I think it was the I can't remember if it was the 11th or the fourth. Um, I think it may have been a week ago, but I actually don't remember. So I had an article, Tyler, Tyler C. Cressman on the St. Louis Post, talking about the Terry Tillman shooting. Go ahead, check that out. And don't forget, guys, to like, subscribe subscribe. if you're listening on Apple. Go ahead and leave us a review. It helps in the rankings, which is always super helpful. And I think we're going to leave it there this week. So you guys have a fantastic week, and I will see you back here next Monday.